This is the Instant Speed Podcast, episode number 52, and our guests today will be Tan and Grace, David Rude, and Brendan Patrick. We're going to talk about who is the best player in flesh and blood, as well as dig in a little bit into the brand new bands, erratas, and all of that wonderful stuff. And of course, this week's episode of Instant Speed is brought to you by Kayfabe Cards. Kayfabecards.com is the place to go for all your flesh and blood needs. It'll get shipped directly to your door, but it's not just flesh and blood. I know I myself love a variety of card games and Kayfabe Cards has a slew of them. Pokemon, Magic, Flesh and Blood, obviously. You get your pick. So they will ship it right to your door if you go to www.kayfabecards.com. Kayfabecards.com. Let's get to the facts, friends. Well, ban and restrictions have just dropped. And well, for CC, we all know that Oldham was kind of in the crosshairs. And what have we targeted? Pulse of Eisenloft, a one of. A wonderful card is now gone. It is banned in Classic Constructed. How about Blitz? Well, Blitz got a sweeping blow, as it were, of uh, bans and restrictions here as Bloodsheath Skeleta is banned in Blitz. Mask of the Pouncing Lynx, banned in Blitz. Stormstriders are now suspended in Blitz. We're going to reevaluate that as uh, time goes on. And finally, Sonata Arcanics is now legal again in Blitz. But there's more interesting little tidbits here as we've seen a young prism was out there blazing trails on the cc circuit and nationals and well frankly we have now uh, come to the time where we have to tell people that um, well cc is for adults the kids table is blitz apparently and ultimately you have to use adult heroes only in cc you cannot bring the younglings out to cc and that is a prism related thing so uh, good to have clarification on that i guess finally uh, not finally, but I want to talk to you all about an upcoming wonderful little piece called the Goliath Gauntlet. You guys want some high-level flesh and blood? Well, the Goliath Gauntlet is going to keep you well in tune with the top players and content creators in the game. We've got multiple Pro Tour winners. We've got multiple national winners, calling winners. Wonderful people are going to be throwing down for cash, prizes, and pride in the Goliath Gauntlet. So you want to be tuned in right here to 983 Media because they are going to be producing the whole show and it is going to be beautiful. So keep your eyes and your ears peeled for that one. Finally, Realm Games Battle Hardened taking place at the 22nd and 23rd of October. I will be there broadcasting. I will also be trying to play. Now, there's wonderful stuff you got to check out. So go to realmgamingnetwork.com, check out their Fall Brawl, which is a Battle Hardened, and get tuned in. Lots of cash and prizes available for that one. Friends, we have Tan and Grace, David Rude, and Brendan Patrick on the show. We're going to talk about the bands and errata, sure, but we want to dig into that unanswerable question. Who is the greatest player in flesh and blood? Greater Fist is going out for the block, which is going to stop the two damage off the blue spell blade assault. What if we gathered 16 of the world's best flesh and blood players and put them head to head? Belittle creating a rune chant, attacking with overload, and, and that's game! Matthew Folks is your second Pro Tour champion. 16 of the world's toughest flesh and blood players duke it out for a $2,000 prize pool. All the action starts October 14th with a Friday night kickoff. Join Mitch Leslie, Tannen Grace, and Matt DeMarco for a flesh and blood event like no other. This is the Instant Speed Podcast. If you hear me chuckling, it's because this is uh, like take 19 of trying to start the show with these three clown shoes. But we finally got things sorted. Again, a, and a welcome trio of uh, Flesh and Blood stars, I will say, reluctantly. Uh, no proxies here, friends. This is the real deal. And uh, each one is bringing a unique perspective to the game of the Arsenal Pass Podcast. We've got Brendan Patrick, who was um, just terrorized by a swarm of killer bees. Show us... Show us how you showed, uh, show the world how you showed us your bee sting. <laughs> oh my God. First of all, it's a wasp sting and they hurt a lot more. Mm -hmm. um, but no, it's, you can't really see it. It's just all red and Whoa. stuff. It's in my, it's, it's in my fast. armpit Jesus. right yeah. here. Yeah, literally got me can you, in my Can you show armpit. me which way the beach is? Like which way no. is, yeah. is it like, is it, is it <laughs> You're making me self-conscious, stop. No. I actually got a wasp sting. 
Brendan busts in here. Is like, guys, I just I was uh, severely assaulted by a, a winged horned creature, and then he just busts it out. He's like, right there, right there. You know what's sad is like I took the I took the Fab Fitness thing like real serious. I've been in the gym a lot lately, and I was like starting to feel myself a little bit. You know, you start you seeing the first results. You know, you see like some extra muscle that you haven't had and stuff, and it looks good. And then Brendan gets on here. And he's like, check out my beast thing. And I'm like, I can never take my shirt off ever again. <laughs> Hey, well, thank you. They, they hurt. They, they hurt for what it's worth. Not worth it. They definitely do. Uh, we also have a retailer extraordinaire who uh, just got a message straight from Wizards saying they've actually uh, upped the price on the uh, proxies. So, uh, Dave, the retailer, pro player, Dave Root, welcome to the show, buddy. Again, always. Right. You, you, I needed you me. on here, and it was funny because when when I did try to recruit you for this episode, you said. Does anyone have a different take? Because I'm probably going to like eviscerate them. I said, yeah, absolutely. We got some good people here. So we're coming in with the real angry uh, dad Quebecer, um, you know, full force, which I love. It's my favorite thing. And of course, caster extraordinaire, Tannen Grace. Nice to see you, buddy. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm a little tired, uh, like, kind of like Deerd. Uh, neither one of us got a lot of sleep last night. So you might hear some angry old man energy from the two of us today. Well, from him, he mentioned it was because of his his child who he needs to rear properly. And you, uh, literally, you just came off of saying you were feeling yourself. So <laughs> we will uh, leave that up to the imagination. PG show. This is this is a family show. Let's keep it PG. Absolutely. Like... All right. We're going to get into a conversation about who the best player in the world is. Obviously, there's no set answer. This is all subjective. But before that, the bands and Aranas were um, basically released upon the world uh, yesterday, if I'm not mistaken. And here we are on October 4th recording this with about 12 to you know, 15 hours of digestion time for it. So we're going to go around the horn here for initial impressions on the bands and erratas. I'll start with uh, you, Brendan. In terms of this, is it effective? What are your thoughts on the bands and, er and erratas? So I think the CC band of Pulse Eyes and Loft is interesting. But at the same time, I kind of started to feel like five was the best deck anyway. And that Belittle is like, one of the best cards that you can be playing in a class constructed list as well, especially with its effectiveness and the things like Icelander, which have creeped up in popularity. So I don't know how much of an impact Pulse Eisenmoth will have. It turns Oak and Old into effectively Raging Onslaught most of the time. So that's important. Definitely affects the late to end game that Old Him did have as well. Uh, but yeah, I was surprised not to see some more aggressive cards banned. Um, I felt like the meta was starting to feel pretty healthy. Uh, that being said, you know, Phi was creeping up a bit in popularity, but at the same time, definitely could have, uh, you know, there could have been answers, and I, I thought we were in a good place. So I don't know if Pulse Eisenloft has that much impact on Class Constructed, uh, but it is a significant ban for Old Him, with, uh, with, with that said. Going into Blitz, um, obviously I'm devastated. Like, Stormstriders was uh, suspended, so Kano effectively living legends. Um, I think that, that that banning is pretty out of touch with how the Wizard class is actually functions in real uh, flesh and blood and flesh and blood tournaments. I think that Wizard is a class that plays um, sort of below curve, but has multiplicative damage effects that punish opponents that don't respect it. Um, I think that the conversion of the deck is very, very bad. And you could probably count on your hands uh, the number of players that can effectively utilize that deck to make it a sort of S tier deck. That being said, it was going to be a good Blitz deck going into the world format. Nevertheless, I do not think it was overpowered, and I think the the banning was uh, unnecessary, and I'm pretty I'm pretty disappointed in it. But um, you know, may shake may shake things up. There's just one thing about wizards. I, like I feel like there was a lot people the people who were losing to wizard or were really complaining about it. I feel like their decks were not respecting wizard. Like if you were playing blitz and let's you're playing an aggressive deck and you're losing to wizard and you feel like there's not choices you can make. Most of the people that I played in the team tournament uh, in Vegas and uh, we're not playing things like uh, Spell Void, right? And Spell Void is probably the most effective thing you can have in, in an aggressive deck against Kano, and people just didn't employ it because they didn't think Kano was enough of a threat. If more aggressive decks had added that in, it would have just further neutered Kano's ability to be effective in that format, and you have cards like Oasis Respite that came in that can be utilized by every single class. So I felt like that ban was really unnecessary. Um, the rest of the bans, you know, they're pretty good. Well, kind of, But we'll have to see how Blitz, how Blitz shakes out. I think it's kind of a fundamentally crazy format right you know people think that you know talk about wizard being unfair but then there's reinar who just intimidates your hand and kills you on turn turn zero sometimes and uh that's that's just what blitz is so 
I was I was a bit surprised by that by that banning. Yeah, the Pulse of Eisenloft kind of came out of nowhere, much like the Autumn's Touch. Um, the Autumn's Touch uh, ban came through, which was a very effective banning. It was a very you know off the radar card that was like, okay, this this does you know we're not banning it because it's a powerful attack. We're banning it because what it does in terms of blocking and synergizing the deck and just being um, a, a lot of utility value but for you dave i know that uh when it comes to wizard you're not necessarily a wizard player but you're a phi player uh you kind of force it in all way shapes and forms but you've seen a lot of success with it and this banning here uh i know that you have been very adamant saying that <laughs> oldham is by far just the the top of the heap the, you know does this banning do enough for you what are your thoughts on it um as far as cc goes i mean I, i'm i'm glad that they they did something even if it's I would have liked to see more. And listen, I've been very vocal about why I think Oldham is kind of oppressive right now. And and I, I know Brendan thinks that Phi is, is getting better and things like that. But I, I, every event that I see, um, I'm seeing Oldham just destroy everyone. And people are telling me that in testing, they're beating, they're beating good Oldham player. But anytime I see Tarek, Isaac, Matt Rogers, like all the like Kristen Hawk went what 12 in Swiss in Germany. He lost in top four to Icelander. I think maybe um I didn't respect the Icelander uh deck that Michael Hamilton was playing enough because it looks like it was starting to beat Oldham a little bit. But I, I still don't believe that that Phi was beating um that was beating Oldham consistently because I'm I'm not beating Isaac. I'm not beating Tarek. And maybe it's just me that's not good enough. But I think I'm you know I'm I'm decent at Phi. Um. I, I think the pulse ban is fine. Um, I think the meta is going to change very little, and Oldham is still, in my opinion, the best deck. Uh, the thing that that's going to be interesting for World is I think while the the Icelander deck that that won US Nuts um, was maybe beating Oldham, I think they can adjust to to you know try to fight that version of of Icelander, and it's going to be interesting to see how, how what happens at World. As far as Blitz goes, um, the touch on on the banning, I think Lynx had to go is just way too good of an equipment that could present like five or six damage and starts on board. People start with 20 life. It's it's way too much that you can present off of one card. Um, as far as the striders go, I agree with everything that Brendan said um, about Kano, but I think from everything I, I heard from people that I know who were testing Blitz heavily already is that Icelander was by far the best deck. And I think basically striders and Kano died for Icelander's sins. And this maybe was not the right card to ban in Bliss if they were trying to hit Icelander, but they, I think they were just worried about, listen, if we ban this, then we don't have to worry about if Kano's too good either. So I, I think if it wasn't for Icelander, they wouldn't have banned this and Kano would still be like a viable deck in Bliss. But they, they were just like, we need to fix something um, before Icelander just dominates everyone. When it comes to Kano and keeping Kano in check, a lot of it is like the power level, I think, has always been there, but it hasn't really blown away the field because i think that a lot of what keeps it in check is just the skill the skill ceiling on it like you can you can be really trash at it with the exact same deck if you don't know what the hell you're doing it takes a lot of work and i know that people like yourself brendan uh people like majin bake caleb van patten like these are players who really put the work in to understand the intricacies of that deck and i always felt like um that in the wrong hands it's just it's just another deck um for you tannin um, you don't get to play, you like myself, don't get to play as much as we would love to. We're always in the booth whenever the major tournaments are happening, and we love that, don't get me wrong, but we see the game from the perspective, from like the bird's eye view. Um, for yourself and your opinion here of Pulse of Eisenloft, seeing so many games by so many different players, do you feel like this ban is effective, uh, or do you think that they missed the mark on the ban? So uh, I'm going to start with Blitz for two seconds because I sure. have the least to say about that. Um, you know, I'm, I actually like Blitz as a format, always have. Uh, it just seems to me what they're doing is trying to open it up as, enough as, an, as much as possible for Worlds, and we'll see what happens there. Like, I haven't even done Blitz preparation for Worlds, uh, you know, for when we're doing, when we're calling that event. So I'm looking forward to what's going on. You know, I haven't sat down and, and looked at the decision tree of what happens with all of the cards that are banned because, you know, each one makes has ramifications down the line than just the exact card. Now, when it comes to CC, uh, the first thing I say is, thank God they finally banned something out of Starvo. You know, we've been waiting for them to ban Starvo for a long time to really neuter that back to, you know, normal. All jokes aside, I'm going to have a little bit of a harsher opinion than these two while I do agree with everything they said. Um, 
this feels like a half measure to me. This feels kind of like uh, we we felt like we needed to do something, even though they said the I've heard some people talk about the over prevailing theory was nothing needed to happen. And I was kind of in that camp. I'm like, nothing needs like, quote unquote, needs to happen. But this sounds this sounds like, hey, you know, we wanted to shake something up for worlds. What's something we can do to shake this up now? I don't know if this is going to have the desired effect that they wanted. I'd have to like hear it directly from their mouth, like what we wanted to happen with this ban. And if this does accomplish that, um, you know, Tark made a really good joke on our discord today about the fact that he's like, this might actually make people play the game better by taking this card out of their deck. You know, no longer are you going to get the free turn of attacking people because they're like, oh, I have this like, you know, easy way to 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 make my oak and old really good and so i'll just t i'll take a bunch of damages turn i'll attack you back with oak and old and then you didn't realize the tempo that you gained from that like you're not getting your guard you're not garnering an advantage from this other than now our life totals are lower and my opponent's deck is better at racing than mine um the thing that i would say from here is if you wanted to have a card to really affect the top decks and make the aggro decks a little bit better in this format which is kind of down the line of what i'm taking from this right like they wanted to maybe make you know, old them a little tiny bit worse and make the aggro decks a little tiny bit better. The, the card that I would think about to, to, to touch here, and I do worry about like how big of a, like how swathing of a effect this would have is, I would think about Channel Lake Frigid. Because like if you take that card or you affect that card out of Oldham and out of Icelander, then it could possibly open up. So I see, I see some shit yeah. shaking of head for, yeah. from D root over here. Maybe it's too much. Up. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, maybe it's too much is the thing I worry about. But if you wanted to affect the top decks, the top two decks, in my opinion, are Oldham and Icelander. And I do think Fi can keep up just because it punishes any off turn or any any bad hand from your opponent. But like, I also don't think it's a bad thing to go into worlds with three really playable, like, you know, S tier decks, as the kids put it, because one of my favorite formats ever was the Starvo format where we had three decks that were playable. So and I do think maybe Channel League Fridges is, is half a step too far. So. Well, I, I mean, do you want the aggro, the aggro format back? I mean, I feel like we had that for yes. two years and it's just like you yes. play like this dumbed down version of flesh and blood where nobody blocks. And it's like it's yeah. like, in my opinion, that's yeah. that that version of class constructed just kind of blows. And like there's always going to be a best deck. There's always going to be a race to make the biggest number and, and you're incentivized not to block. It's just it's just the way the game is now. And it, I mean, without drastic changes, we're going to have that. Send it, Dave. Send it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to interrupt Brandon. He, he was he was making a point. Oh my bad. No, I mean that that's pretty much it. It's like uh, you know I feel like we've been there since Monarch, and it's been a breath of fresh air to have this this new format where X like you know Olden has been viable, but you know had the Prism Boogeyman uh, there as well. I, I think that a format that is hyper hyper Olden and you know is centered around fatigue is worse than a hyper aggressive format. But if we can get somewhere. Uh, on the more defensive side, or just like where you're actually playing more flesh and blood. And I feel like that's where we've been in this recent format. I've really enjoyed it. And I think if you hit channel like Frigid, you really punish, uh, you know, these, like you really kind of neuter decks like Oldham and Iceland and their ability to fight against hyper aggressive decks. Um, so that's why I would have been bummed to see that. But yeah, I just, I don't want to go back to it. I don't want to immediately go back to this. Um, you know, we've got like the little Briar, nobody blocks. We're playing Promise of Plenty. Uh, you know, we've got. You know the fives all running around. It's like uh, let's 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 hang out in this sort of you know where we have decks like Icelander playable, and some people even taking Reinar to national wins. Like it's a good spot, I think. I think. Um, I, I mean, I I would have just banked around a seat. I think it's. I think nobody's gonna mm -hmm. defend the fact that this card is just way too good, and if it's not banned now, it's gonna get banned eventually. It's just like easily one of the most powerful cards ever printed. I, I didn't want to hit Icelander. I think like by hitting Channel Lake, you you do hit Icelander pretty hard. And I think that if Oldham got hit like with with Crown of Seed, it would have you know let Aggro build in a certain way that Icelander is still a deck. It's still you know a, a very good Ice deck, but it's not like so dominant because right now decks have to like you can't show up to Worlds and not be ready to beat Oldham. So you have to build your deck in a certain way so that you can compete with Oldham. And that really, like, it's it's basically, I mean, un, unless I'm wrong, it's really hard to build a deck to be able to compete with both of these at the same time. I kind of wish that Dromai was a better deck and maybe people will will break it in time for Worlds. But, like, in theory, like, we need the Illusionist to be able to beat, um, to be able to beat Oldham or Guardian. 
And I, I kind of joked about him banning Scaletta, which I don't think, you know, should have happened. But like we need a deck that can actually put pressure on Oldham better than, than we have right now. And just to touch on Channel Lake, listen, Channel Lake's always one of the best cards against almost every deck I play. Um, it, I just think I just think it's one of the best design cards they've ever made. Like it's it's like the Talia of this game. It slows down aggro deck. It slows down combo decks. And it doesn't stick around forever. Like it, it, there's a real push pull on how much you know you overpitch to keep Channel Lake Frigid around and things like that. I just think it's one of the best design cards they've ever made. And I'd be really sad if if it was banned. I, I want to want to say yeah. one thing real quick. I, I just want to say I, I, that's not me advocating to ban that card. I was saying if you wanted to affect the top two decks, like that was the one that came to mind that where you could affect both at the same time. Because I'm in the camp where I'm like I I think it's a step too far. I it's, just don't think I thunder is a problem. It's yeah. it's a it's a very unenviable position to be in to actually decide what goes because for many the the concept of Oldham being just I, I don't think there's any debate that Oldham is the is the best deck in the format. The, I think the debate is what that margin is between Oldham and everything else. And once that's sort of in flux and in everybody's mind and no one can agree on it, finding the right card to ban because for some, like Tannen says, like just leave it be maybe people will adjust will will you know be able to sort of overcome and in, in all honesty there have been plenty of national tournaments uh but everybody's kind of focusing within their own little micro metas of their region to figure out what they need to play against and maybe whenever it comes down to worlds people will have a better understanding of what they need to play against finding the right you know knob to turn is one thing but finding how many you know notches are you going from 10 to 8 are you going from 10 to 9 and finding what that precise little piece is because i feel like if you're banning crown of seeds that's going from 10 to 2 but if you're banning something like pulse of eisenloft it's a small little um shift that maybe gives everybody else it doesn't necessarily give everyone else an advantage but it allows for some reliable turns like a, a very strong card it's a one of and this is what's so fascinating to me yeah it's a strong card but it's a one of and you might see it twice in a longer game maybe three times if it goes the distance i think that it's the right it's the right adjustment in terms of of amplitude but it might not be the right knob and and that's a, an analogy i hope you guys can kind of latch on to here uh, and are any last points between we move on to the the main discussion of who the best player is or is there is there any alternatives i know tannin you mentioned that perhaps uh channel like frigid was an idea it might not have been ideal uh but if you want to you know if you want to sort of tickle both of the top decks being like icelander and oldham that would be an option um are there any other alternatives that you guys had in mind so for what it's worth, I 100% agree with the, the banning of Crown of Season class construction. I think that they Same. were motivated not to do that based off it being a legendary and people investing mm -hmm. into it. Blitz is a different thing, and I think that they're willing uh, and able have shown that they will ban legendaries and Blitz, but I do not think that they're willing uh, to do it quite yet in class construction. I think that, that that card is actually going to yeah. plague us for a long time before it does eventually get banned or old and rotates out. Um, I think the slope, right? Yeah, you could have maybe also hit Belittle. Um, Belittle... It's obviously it's very powerful. I don't know if it's too powerful, but I do think that it kind of adjusts some of the tenets of the games with how it fetches resources so efficiently. Um, but that being said, if Ultim is the best tech, then a little maybe doesn't need to go quite yet. But Crown of Seeds would have been a breath of fresh air for sure, <laughs> in my opinion. It's tough. I remember when these cards came out, I, I had Crown of Seeds as being one of the worst legendaries to pull out of the set. I had no clue of just how wrong I usually am. And in this case, boom. Uh, it would suck. And you know what? I, I want to just wheel back real quick here because Austin Yost made a tweet suggesting that something like Tunic will eventually have to get addressed. And I know that there was a lot of people who were kind of pouncing on him for being ridiculous. But I think he has a point here when it comes down to that conversation of, uh, you know, if there's no standard rotation or there's no rotation of cards and there's no retirement necessarily like a weapon would be, like Rosetta Thorne, everybody's just waiting for Briar to, to pass. So Rosetta Thorne's kind of out, uh, out of the picture. Do you think that um, a, a, there is a, a looming conversation that's uh, sort of you know haunting lss right now regarding something like tunic or is it a situation where it's like this is the generic equipment this is like the goat uh and if you're not going to play it it's because you have a utility piece that for a particular matchup or something that's specific to a particular hero what, what are your thoughts on that we'll start with you dave 
you can't ban Tunic. Come on. It's the most iconic card in the game. I don't think it's oppressive in any way. It, it's been relegated to a cyborg card a lot of times. Like how many decks actually start Tunic as like their main, their main equipment? I think it's also whenever they introduce a new hero, if you don't, they didn't print a legendary chess piece. That's the one that they get to, that people get to use until they, you know, they get printed a card that will be better. But like almost every hero eventually gets something that's better than Tunic. And I don't know. It, to me, you just can't ban the most iconic card in the game. Like that's that's just like it would have to be so unbelievably oppressive for it to get banned. Like whenever a new player starts playing the game, they come to to the store and they're like, um, "Yeah, I'm looking at things. I don't, I don't know what I should buy first. I'm not sure what deck I should play." And then everybody tells them, "Like, you get a tunic. You get a tunic." And yeah, maybe that's an issue that you know everybody needs a tunic to play the game. But like, just keep reprinting it. And keep it cheap, and you know, it's just. It's a fun card. It's a nice looking card, and I don't think it's oppressive. Tannen, I changed my mind after hearing Deer talk. Is like, um, you know, Yosa talked about it. And I almost brought it up, and he said, "Did you think you're gonna change?" And it's not that I want to ban Tunic. It's just eventually I want to like Living Legend Tunic. You know, I want to like eventually be like, let's let's get past this. But I think Deer made the most important point here, and it's very very good. Is every single time a new hero is printed, if it doesn't have a good chess piece, like it's just at a huge disadvantage if you don't have Tunic. Like you can't actually compete with some of these other other heroes that just have like a good legendary chess piece and you get your like one legendary, you know, piece from your set. Generally, you know, you usually get about one <clears throat> and like you want the new heroes to be playable, right? Like we've seen that being a thing lately, like all the sets. There's a reason why a lot of these cards are super pushed when they first come out is they want the hero to be playable immediately in classic constructed and stuff. So uh, I'm wavering stance of eventually probably needs to happen to it just Right now, you know, like, you know, if we're still doing tours in three years, which, God, I hope so. Please let, let us, you know, let this game, you know, continue. Not that I think it won't, but yeah, some breath of fresh air might be nice, but like, let's just see what happens. Maybe they print another good generic legendary chess it's, piece. It's going to get Living Legend eventually. Like, it's just yeah, part of it. Right? just has to. Like, Skullcap yeah. did, right? Like, they yeah. just eventually print either like class specific headpiece or a better generic one. That's just, I don't, to me, let's just enjoy it while. Mm-hmm. Oh, we can. Brandon? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it gets phased out by class-specific uh, equipment in supplemental sets like Dynasty um, or Crucible of War. That being said, I also don't think you need Tunic. It, let's say your hero, your class, doesn't have a um, a class-specific piece of equipment for your test. I don't think that Tunic is actually necessary to compete. I shouldn't get Tunic. Tunic is often overrated. You have cards like Heart and Crosstrap, which is very effective, two resources, which you can get. And if we're looking at a more aggressive format, that can be a better rate. And you have the new card at the Dual Box. Uh, it's like Blossom of Spring or something, which is effectively a Tunic. And you know what we saw in these last four matches, which are like three to four turn games effectively. So I felt like you didn't really need a Tunic to compete. What, what, really, what kind of put Tunic over the edge um, especially if you're like on the play or something was the one defense value. I felt like you usually wouldn't get two activations out of it anyway. So um, I don't think it's oppressive. All right. I like it. All right. So, so the main uh, piece here, we, we've done the, the vegetables, the potatoes, we're hitting the main, the main chunk of meat here, which is who is the best player in the game right now. Everybody has an opinion and we're right off of national season. I think this is a good time to just sort of visit this topic, which has essentially littered Twitter for a while and everybody has an opinion. There's polls, there's all kinds of stuff out there. Uh, I ran a poll uh, in which it was myself, Tan and Grace, Brendan Patrick and uh, Nick Bolas, who who opened a cold foil heart of Fyandel at, uh, at nationals. I won that poll. So I think that is the most scientific and, and reliable uh, information that we could possibly hope for here. But uh, before we get into names, I want to ask you about criteria. What factors in to consideration when you're evaluating who the best player in the world is? There's so many metrics out there. There's ELO, there's wins, top eights, uh, appearances, things like that. I want to go around the horn and and if and ask you all what you think those criteria are when considering it. And then after that, we'll talk about specific names. I'll start with you, Brendan. When it comes to evaluating who the best in the game is, what are you looking at? Um, results, consistency, macro play, which is things like game plans, being able to dynamically adjust game plans on the fly based on what the opponent is doing. Uh, micro play, playing hand-to-hand, receiving the most value you can, which kind of ties directly into limited play. Uh, specialization, do they specialize in a class? Can they play a wide breadth of classes? Are they good at everything? Um, 
And yeah, I guess to an extent, because it's relevant in this conversation is when did they start playing the game? You know, what does their career look like? And I think that there's a player out there whose career has just been uh, pretty unfathomable for how successful he's been in a very short period of time. So Brody? Is it Brody? Simply, it's definitely, uh, it's, it's not going to be Brody this time. Brody's a local to me, by the way. <laughs> yeah, like when I had my first conversation with Brody and he's just like, yeah, I started playing like three months ago. I'm like, dude, okay, relax. And he, and he, and you, yeah, yeah, just re- I got 20 years on you, kid. Like, stop making me look terrible. Uh, Dave, you know, metrics and, and criteria for evaluating the best. Um, yeah, I think this game's pretty young. Um, I kind of like when people are like asking who is the best player right now, which is kind of where I'm going from. I kind of look at this in the, the perspective of pro play is a pretty uh, young, you know, it's, there's been two pro tours. There's been like a year and a half of callings and things like that. Um, I know there was like smaller callings before that. I, I don't want to, you know, ignore those also, but I, I kind of feel like right now is kind of like the pro era. And this is like, this is where the skill testing really matters it to me it feels more like i wish they had like an award and maybe they should have an award for player of the year uh like other card games have had before then we could have you know rookie of the year and and you know marginalized uh person of the year and things like that so that we could have you know build a narrative and be like this is the defending player of the year or this is the rookie of the year and and they get you know this prize cards or things like that but as far as player best player in the world um, I think you have to look at results of big events where people have skill, you know, skill tested against each other coming from everywhere in the world. And to me, that means the pro tours, uh, the eventual world championship and and things like that. Tannen, my man, Tannen, you've been around the, the competitive card world for a long time. You've been mired in it. You've been very successful in it as well. You know what it takes to finish. Well, I'll say second, but You've sure. been you've been at the table playing against. Wow. Uh, there's has to this is your daily dig at or your weekly dig at Tan and Grace. There has to be one per episode. This is it, and you're here, mm-hmm. and I love you, and you know I love you because I tell you I love you regularly. Mm-hmm. However, you have been uh, on the pro circuit for a long time. You've you've you you your record is incredible. Um, you know what it takes to be a winner. What does the best in the world need to? need to reflect in your in your eyes real quick before we get into the you know my exact stuff on that it, it's interesting to have this panel and bring that up because uh not only you know the jokes about me being second place but it, it's funny because you kind of overlook brendan when you do it and he gets to have the oh nice i don't get brought up for this but then that means he finishes second place in the second place conversation which is that even i'm a, I'm a commentator sir can you uh, yeah. oh i apologize <laughs> i apologize but as i say is that second square does that make it worse does that make it better i don't know that's for that's for people at home to decide you are then, you know your medal is the most silver okay right yeah yeah sure who is the most exactly then i'm uh virtually sitting next to a pro tour champion right now as well you know like for people at home they don't know you know d is a magic gathering pro tour champion and you know quite a littered pro career of his own you know at home mine was during the era where we were on twitch like d was right before twitch so you know if twitch existed at his time he would be a much bigger name than i am and stuff like that but uh there's there's two things and they both hit on it way better than i could ever do here like number one who's the best player in the world right now, right? Like who's got the best results in the last year, you know, whatever defining amount of time, it doesn't need to be literally 365 days or whatever. Right. Um, you know, who's had the best results recently. What have you done for me lately? Who do you think is like the actual best player at playing the game? You know, someone's like, someone has to play a game of flesh and blood for your life. Like if they lose, you lose your life. Like, who are you picking? You know, cause like it might be different than who people think are the best player in the world right now. And then you have the conversation and like, I know the game is relatively young. It, re- it really is like you made a really good point there, but we do have to have like the goat conversation, right? Like who's the best player of all time? Because I think that is there's an unquestionable like player who ascends to the top of like who is the most meaningful and best player in the history of the game. And they're probably not. It's it's hard to say. It, it's hard to say if they're in the conversation for top three or top five best players in the world right this minute. And I think they are but they are undeniably the best player in the history of the game. But a lot of that comes from before what I like to call like the heyday of, you know, competitive play in flesh and blood. Cause starting with this year, 
I think is the real or let's let's say Vegas starting with Vegas at the end of last year is probably the real start of competitive flesh and blood. And that's taking nothing from what came before. But I mean, just look at the size of the fields and the skill of the overall player over the last year. It has grown at an exponential rate. And I think that's where you really have to start judging. Yeah, there needs to be a differentiation as well of who, you know, is the overall GOAT, like you're saying, and who is the best player right now. Um, because it's on any given day, uh, you know, to use a sports analogy, you can be like, well, uh, is, is um, I don't know, is Noah Syndergaard the best pitcher in the game? Or is it, you know... He was never the best pitcher in well, the game. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. But, like, if he has a good month, is he, like, Alec Manoa. Yeah, sure. Is Alec Manoa the best pitcher in the game? Or is it Clayton Kershaw? You know, like, but you're are you looking at the body of work? Or are you looking at a snapshot? And that's, I think, what we also need to differentiate. Because when you're talking about the GOATs of all time, the name that comes to mind for me is someone like Matt Rogers. And, yeah, I mean, he's, he's just the GOAT. Like, right. It's... And I think that, but you're like you mentioned, Tan, and that's because you're, we're looking at a body of work. We're looking at a two-year body of work. But if we're taking a snapshot of, you know, let's say the past six months, um, you know, we'll go around the horn again here. Brendan, who, in your opinion, is the best player right now? So I think there's only two serious answers, two people in contention. It's Pablo Pintor and Michael Hamilton. Uh, Pablo Pintor, amazing results at the highest level of competitive play. Want a pro tour, top eight at a pro tour. How do you argue that, that statistically? Michael Hamilton, on the other hand, every, every single event he's gone to, every weekend he's played flesh and blood, he has ended with a PTI. Um, the dude is amazingly consistent. And for Michael Hamilton, I go off my personal experience as well. I played a lot of the quote-unquote best players in the game. And they all feel like, you know, you're swimming in the kiddie pool. You can touch the bottom. It feels good. You feel comfortable. You're playing flesh and blood. Michael Hamilton drags you to the deep end and just drowns you. It feels different. Um, he is so hyper aware and so good at his macro game plans and his micro evaluation of the sort of value of flesh and blood that it's just, he's a machine and it's, it is genuinely different than playing anybody else. So for me, that's why Michael Hamilton is the best player in the world for me because I do have you know, personal experience playing against him. But I think Pablo Pintor, uh, I have been able to play against him. I've heard very good things and his results really speak for himself. So I would err on Michael Hamilton, but Pablo's close behind, and I think that the World Championships is going to decide that. One thing, though, (laughs) I don't think Matt Rogers is the GOAT. Um, And I I like Matt Rogers, and he's been around for a long time, and he's been very successful. But, I mean, that's a different era of flesh and blood. And I I have a a finalist in in one of those callings. Like, I played in those callings. uh, Me and Sasha Markovic, Sasha ended up winning the first constructed calling. Like, I I played in those times. and they were not like these times at all. Uh, it wasn't easy by any stretch because you were, you know, everybody was new, but it was not like it is now, especially with Talishar coming out and now people are practicing online, getting more games of flesh and blood in than they ever have. Uh, it's a different era of flesh and blood. And I think the goat, like the question of who the goat is, far from secured. Um, and even if we looked at the entire body of work, I would still put Michael Hamilton and Pablo Pintor far ahead of uh, Matt Rogers at this point. That's a, it's an interesting take here. First of all, when you mentioned that uh, Michael Hamilton is a machine, I, I tend to agree. But the scariest machines in every sci-fi movie I've ever watched were the ones that learn and adapt and improve upon themselves. And that feels like he's that kind of AI that you need to that they they make movies of and sequels of you know like that's the kind of dude that he is and he's not going away which is the most terrifying aspect but um you know just to sort of dig into your matt rogers is not the goat conversation i i don't necessarily think that your arguments are wrong but when you're saying like oh he had a lot of success early on he also just won his nationals right so it's it's also sustained and matt rogers to me whenever i speak to him he's somebody who always tells me that he wishes he had more time to be competitive and and um, not to take away from everyone else, I just feel like if Matt Rogers was just focused on comp- a competitive play, that he would probably be up there as well. Um, uh, but again, Pablo Pintor and Michael Hamilton are easily, 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 uh, you know, one and two, uh, if not top three in my books as well. Uh, Dave, you have a, an, a you when when I approached you with this conversation, you said you, people better show up with some interesting answers, and I want to hear yours. I mean, I, I was pretty sure Brendan was going to say Michael Hamilton. Um, I, I can, you know, I can respect that opinion. I do think they're very close. I just, I think Pablo Pintor is like on another level compared to, to Michael Hamilton's finishes. And I want to say finishes and, and be clear. Um, 
Pro Tours to me is what matters the most. That's where the entire world comes together to compete at the highest level. Um, and, you know, both tournaments they've played, Pablo finished higher than he did and not by, you know, people were saying, oh, he made top 16, which are obviously really good finishes. But people are like, oh, he was just one win away from top eight. Yeah, you have to win three more to win a Pro Tour. And those are the hardest, yep. the hardest rounds to win. Um, I just think... Brendan touched on something that that basically is why I want I'm so vocal about <clears throat> this conversation is that I've seen it happen in other games and you know he, he touches on I have personal experience playing against Michael Hamilton like I I want to make sure that Europeans who are kicking our ass by the way compared to North America so far in two pro tours get the respect that they deserve that's I've when I was you know doing well in magic there's a guy who won seven pro tours and people were still talking about how the American guy was probably better than him. And I just, I just, like, I want it to be on equal level is that you want to say that you're the best in the world, like show me with result and not just be like, oh, I'm playing against the, the top players in the US. And those are the ones that write articles or the ones that go on podcasts like we do. Those are the ones that, you know, kind of push the narratives a lot. And I think that Pablo's just killed it. Like I watched him play in top four against Isaac, who at the time, you know, I was pretty convinced was, if not the best player in the world, one in the conversation. And like, he played him, like the game was unbelievable. If you rewatch that, that game, like they both played really well. And I think, I don't, like, I think there was like a minor mistake on 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 Isaac's part and Pablo captured it on it and won. And it was like, I don't know. I just think we've seen a lot of Michael Hamilton because he's in North America. But I just want to make sure that, you know, if you we want to talk about him being the best player in the world, he has to actually, you know, have better finishes than he does. And at both Pro Tours so far, he hasn't. To Tannen, you've, uh, like you said, you've ride shotgun uh, with me on a lot of these major matches. We've seen so many of these pro players. And a lot of times when it comes to people's opinions of who the best are, it's, you know, reviewing footage or whatnot, or, or some players like like Brendan or Dave actually get to sit across from them and see it firsthand. You and I have that bird's eye view, like we mentioned. Who is your best player in the game right now? So they both made really, really good points, right? Whether they're right or wrong, you know, whether you agree or not at home. <laughs> And, you know, I think one of the better points that Deerd brings up is the fact that, you know, America does get kind of um, we, we get a little extra, right? You know, we're on stream a lot more. We get coverage a lot more. We're thrust into the spotlight. And for obvious reasons, you know, we get the biggest tournaments, et cetera, et cetera. You know, we get the biggest production value that helps, you know, kind of cloud your judgment. I don't know if you remember this flake, but we had like hot takes going into the first pro tour. And do you remember what my hot take was? I was going to I said that an American or even a North American would not win the tournament and that Europe would show up. And I could not have even fathomed in my wildest dreams how right I was. And I didn't and it's not me patting myself on the back. I'm just saying I wasn't even as right as I should have been because Europe's kicking our ass like mm -hmm. that's, just, that's just the way it is. In fact, it's probably going to be one of the narratives that I'm going to push during Worlds is is an American going to, you know, step up is michael hamilton going to step up is a north american going to step up you know does Tarek finally put up another really big finish even though he did just win a nationals and we kind of like you know skip over that because you know we're talking about the best players in the world right to answer your question you know is it michael hamilton is it pablo ventura is really the question and for me it's like 1a 1b between the two of them right now um i do have pablo slightly ahead of michael hamilton for a few reasons but like there's a few names that we didn't bring up and, you know, Deaver mentioned one of them. I knew he would because he and I both have the utmost respect for Isaac Crute. Mm -hmm. I think the guy is dude. The guy you know, is, haunts my freaking dreams. It is. You, you joke is, about a machine. He oh, is an actual machine. He is yeah. T1000 like and yeah. like with the Canadian conversion. He's like T1265. Like that's what he is. And if like if I had to have like a Mount Rushmore of like, you know, four to six people, it's going to be Hamilton. You know, it's going to it's going to be Pintor. It's going to be Crute, But then it's going to be, you know, it's going to be, you know, Rogers, obviously it's going to be Tarek. And then a name that, you know, we, we kind of haven't mentioned and I think doesn't get enough respect in these conversations. And that's Matthew Folks, you know, which is kind of crazy to think because he won a pro tour. Right. But the guy's mind is on another level. It's the same thing as like. So, you know, we talk about personal experience. You get this a little bit with Hamilton. You get this a lot with Tarek. And I haven't had a lot of time to, like, really pick the brain of Isaac Crute because, like, he's not very talkative. You know, and I generally don't want to bother him too much. But 
when I talk to, you know, Hamilton, when I talk to Tark, when I talk to folks about flesh and blood, or even magic, when I talk to these guys about magic, because they're all old magic heads, whenever I would talk to them about the game and they would tell me about stuff, I would have to really, really try very hard and pay a ton of attention to make sure I understood what they were saying. And to me, they were still speaking a different language. Like, if you could read their minds during a game, I don't think you'd understand half the stuff that's going on because it would just be a different language. I think they're on a completely another level, see the game very differently. And so my answer to the question overall is, I think Pablo is, is 1A, I think Hamilton is 1B right now. But if I had to have someone play for my life now, I think I would pick Folks or Tar. And I, I maybe that's a crazy thing to say, but I think when it all comes down to, I think they're, they might be the most, like, talented players and i'm not taking anything away from anything because i do think Hamilton is up there as well and i only have the the experience of pintor from like the booth and from earning his matches like whenever you know a lot in europe when you were either in france i don't know if you noticed i was like watching pintor's run to the top eight whenever i was not in the booth because i was like this is insane that he's going to make another top eight and i think you can't go wrong with any of those guys like they're all just utterly absurd but <clears throat> right now for me it's pablo pintor it's funny you mentioned Isaac Cruden playing for your life because whenever I get paired against them, which is freaking awesome. It feels like it, right? Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's the best, but it, it's definitely a feeling that I enjoy is just seeing him with his cold, dead hand, eyes just staring into my soul, <laughs> already seeing the future. And when you're talking about Mount Rushmore, uh, like a Mount Rushmore of players, and you mentioned Isaac, uh, uh, he already is that stone-faced killer uh, that you probably is just, you know, the yeah. best, the absolute best, 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 best um compliment i ever got was uh at u.s uh, canadian nationals just a couple weeks ago where i got paired against him first of all hilarious story because we're at the pod i was in one of the seats at the corner and he was like three play players to my left i had no idea he was there and we did all the drafting and all the stuff is done we register the decks or whatever i get up and i hear somebody tap or i feel somebody tap me on the shoulder i turn around and it's crute and he's like I'll see you in round two. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, like, like just coming out of the, like, from under the bed to just destroy me. Um, but when it comes, well, yeah. I was going to say, um, so, like, there's a, there's a thing I wanted to add there, too, real quick. Like, I had this pulled up on the other side because, like, you know, I, with D-Root on the show, I knew that I needed to bring receipts as well for, for some of my arguments. And I do have up a leaderboard for rating for Classic Constructed and... Michael Hamilton is number one. He's the only player over 1900. But surprisingly, I, I don't know why this is surprising me to me to me. But the only person close to him at 1879 is Matthew Folks at number two, and then Isaac Crude is number three at 1849. And then you go all the way down to 13th to get to Pablo Pintor. I don't know what happened with his Elo here, but he's under 1800. And if you look in a few of the other players, it goes Hamilton, Folks, Crude. You know, Rutowski is number four, but he's coming off a very big finish. But he's he's one of those guys. He's just looking for one of those big, like really big finishes. Put the tro you know a trophy next to his name because he's been doing really well. And you've also got like in here, you know, another. You know, if, if you've if you've been around Magic, you've been around competitive card games. Like this is another guy that's going to make a big name for himself here too. So there's this as well. There's a couple other players too, like. Um, you know, a lot of us aren't talking about Michael Fang at all. Like his name never gets mentioned, and I think that we should just not overlook him quite a bit because like his results are also just absurd over the last year as well yeah and he never I mean, gets mentioned like fang's good I keep waiting sorry no no sorry i was gonna say like fang's good and whatever but i mean like it, it, we're not we're not discounting the fact that these are world-class players but like you're we're talking about the best here so we eventually there's going to be a cutoff and some of the names that i want to throw out there and matt folks was definitely one there because it's not just about execution it's also about innovation and design and that's where i think michael hamilton also gets sort of a leg up as well because of the decks that he's playing are just really unique in terms of that but i want to throw some names out here and and I'm i want to get your reaction name. Uh, well, I'm waiting for this name. It's, it's not it's not yours. If that's <laughs> that's it. No, I'm saying we've named all these people. Yeah. And I thought that Tanner was going to, you know, touch on it. But the name that never gets mentioned in these conversation and his finishes are insane. He's I've, I've seen him play and he's, I, I, in my opinion, one of the best players right now. And I thought that's who Tanner was going to put on his Mount Rushmore. But I don't want to butcher his name. And it's uh, Bartosz Zemba. Oh, Bartosz. Yeah. Bartosz Zemba. Yeah. 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 Of Poland. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was going to bring like, up Pol the Polish stuff a lot by themselves, like this yeah. community that's a, yeah. So he gets like almost no love, but he, you know, his finishers are insane. I think he has a PT top eight, uh, calling finalist. Um, 
obviously Poland's like incredibly hard uh, to do well in. It's in, in by my account, it's per round the hardest nationals in the world, in my opinion. It's the hardest round by round event to get wins in. He's um, he's in the top ten in both Elo and Limited and in Constructed, which is no small feat. Um, I don't I, again. I don't think he's on the level of, of Michael Hamilton and Pablo as far as finishes right now. But he never gets mentioned, and he has the finishes to to be in this conversation above some of the names that, uh, to be honest, I love Isaac and everything. But Bartos' numbers are you know on the same level as as he is. What about Yuki Lee Bender? Absolutely, I think it's somebody you know, just like you, you're not in the conversation for best player in the world, but you can't finishes. She's definitely some have a conversation about. I'm, I like Yuki a lot. I don't. I don't think her finishes are quite quite there yet. Um, she needs like more PT finishes. Sure. I want to hear about Brandon though. I feel like we've been hogging a mic and well, she's sure. been sitting there waiting to, for you know to get back in this oh, conversation. Yeah, I was gonna go to Brandon because Brandon made you made an, a really good argument for for Pablo and Michael, and I I lean towards Michael on this one as well. But in terms of the periphery, and even let's factor in a little bit of bias here. Let's be real, because and and I think we're 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 real, you know. Uh, coming to a realization here, and I know that Dave, you and I have spoken about this a lot. Uh, I speak about this, you know, with many people on, on the show, where we discussed the 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 potency of like Canada as a pound for pound, really strong nation uh, when it comes to uh, flesh and blood. U.S. has exceptional players, obviously, but damn it, Poland is like on another freaking level, pound for pound. I played in an, in a armory in Warsaw, and. They were telling me they're like, oh, this is like one of five that we do a week. Like we go, we 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 basically hop from place to place, and they're small, but everybody there is an absolute assassin. Um, so I think that there we're finally coming off the whole, you know, North American bias when it comes to this, and realizing that the best players in the world are like Matt Folks in the UK, Pablo Pintor in Spain, um, you know, Bartosz in uh, in Poland, and Brendan for you. Are there any other names uh, that you're thinking about in terms of the best in the world? And has North American, you know, this this self self-imposed supremacy kind of evaporated? Like, has that illusion just dissipated? So I want to ask you a question to start this off. Um, do you remember that there was a calling in Poland? Um, it was in Krakow, actually. Do you remember who won that? Uh, it was a blitz. Uh, it was Blitz, I believe, and if I'm not mistaken, wasn't it somebody from Asia? No. Oh it was no. Yanji Lee out of New York. Yep. Oh gosh. So <laughs> okay. these, these Polish armories being round for round. Uh, it's just a funny jab at you know Poland's supremacy, but we did go and take their trophy. Uh, yeah, I do think that Europe is objectively the best region in the world right now. Um, I also think that Pablo Pintor is probably closer to the objective best player in the world, based off you know Pro Tour is kind of being the apex of competitive play. Uh, I side for with Michael because of bias, because of personal experience, but I also think you know his consistency of results at extremely competitive events, whether they be callings um, or the national championships, have been very consistent. That's why his rating is so high. Actually, is because the only place he's really lost has been in Pro Tours. <laughs> um, Isaac Krut, though, so we did a little podcast and we touched upon this best player in the world argument. And Isaac Krut kind of, we went through a lot of categories. And Isaac Krut uh, took it for me as the most underrated player in the world. I call him the uh, the Where's Waldo of top eight pictures because he's always looking somewhere in the background. He's got to pick him out. Um, but yeah, other than that, I don't think, like, I just, I don't think there's any other names that really come up as like uh, in contention if we want to really pick out the best player in the world. I think it's Michael Hamilton or it's Pablo Pintor, and we got to let Worlds decide from there. They probably, it's very likely that neither one of them will win, to be honest. But uh, maybe we can settle, kind of settle the argument for kind of who finishes higher. Maybe Michael finally, finally lives up to his name in top eights, you know, top eights at Worlds here, and Pablo doesn't. And, that might get us closer to a reasonable argument, but I think that Pablo's finishes, like you, you just can't argue with that, right? Yeah, the where, I top eight's pro tour. The where's Waldo description is very fitting. That's why when I was uh, when I top eighted uh, with him at uh, Harry Tarantula, I made sure that I I lifted him up and carried him like a <laughs> like a like a sack of potatoes. I'm like, here you go, buddy. This is the only time I will ever carry you in any way, shape, or form. Um, the other question here, frankly, and I like what you're saying, but where you're mentioning Brendan that worlds is going to be a probably is just going to sort of hammer down people's um, opinion of who the best is. Because if Michael wins or Pablo wins, I don't think there's any debate. 
uh, of that one of those two will be the, the GOAT. But are there any players out there right now that if they win Worlds, they just end that debate and say it's me? Like if Matt Folks or Tarek win, is it just them? Yeah, I think so. Um, World is just such a big stage, right? And, you know, it's the first world championship. It's almost undeniable, especially if you're someone who has a track record of already winning. So if it's somebody who hasn't won a calling before, hasn't won a nationals, you know, maybe won a bunch of RTNs and ProQuest and they win Worlds, then yeah, you could just put them up in contention where it's like, yeah, it's Michael, this person, or Pablo. Uh, but I think if it's, you know, a player like Matthew Fox or like Tarek Patel or Matt Rogers, or I would say even Sasha Markovic, who's two times a calling and has top eight in a pro tour and then goes into World Worlds, like they probably can usurp them, uh, like the current conversation, the best player in the world. If it's a quote unquote no name, and I mean that in the most way, respectful way possible, then I think they're in contention. But somebody who has a track record of already winning, if they win World Championships, I think that. Yeah, I think we give them the title of best player in the world for the moment. Dave? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm i not going to disagree with that. I, I do think there's a lot of people who need more finishes than that. Like, I, I think winning Worlds, I, I think Worlds, is, to me, is on this um, about the same level as a Pro Tour. I don't see, like, I, I know there's more money and and there's an extra format to, to practice for. I don't think the... The jump is is that big. I think pro tours and calling are a huge difference. Uh, like nationals are like a, a step below that. Except for US Nats, I'd say like US Nats are like about on the calling level for because of size and, and skill and, and things like that. So I do think nationals are like a significant level below uh calling, like be, below pro tours. So I kind of get like a little annoyed when people mention US Nats in the same vein as as PTs. But yeah, I think world is gonna be super interesting. There's a lot of really not like interesting narratives and it's going to be a fun event definitely to, to cast and if i wasn't playing in, in it I'd, I'd be glued to my tv like i was for the for the second pt when i when i didn't go so yeah it, it's going to be a, a good time for sure how about you tan and if there's one player that just takes it all that it might usurp the michael hamilton pablo pintor consensus since we keep using this word, do they become the Kingslayer as well? If they like if they beat them in the final or whatever. But uh, no, I, I don't have anything new to add here. I think they both just crush those answers. Yeah, like if one of the players with a track record wins this, they just immediately is like ascend the best player in the world. Um, or they even further the gap. If Hamilton or Pintor, like if Pintor wins this, I don't think it's even like arguable. And even if someone went like Hamilton wins the next Pro Tour, you're still going to have the argument. You know, he's still going to be that far ahead. And uh, I got to agree with Deirdre here. It's it's practically another pro tour on uh, like in competitiveness for me. I like that answer. Um, I, I feel like there's very few. I feel like the gap for like those top players is wide enough that if they if if they top eight but lose, they're still considered probably the best. Uh, it's just fascinating to me because this is the world championships where frankly, the whole theme of this is to crown the best in the world. Right. Where in the debate is they were the best in the world at this tournament, maybe not at the game as a whole, even though it's three formats that are being represented. Uh, we're going to end the show on one more question that I want to go around the horn on. We'll start with you, Tannen, uh, get you under the gun here. If there's, if there's a player that is threatening to have a good run in 2023 to be the best player in the world, if they have a great run in 2023, who is that player you feel has that, that capability, that potential? I only name one. You can name a few if you want. There's no. Uh... I, I've got I've got two that immediately come to mind. I can't pick which one between Folks and Crute. I think they're like the guys right on the cusp that if they put up another top eight somewhere, another pro tour top eight or another big win, that you just immediately have to start talking about them as as the best in the world. That's fair, Brendan. Um. Yeah, I think it's just Hamilton. He started in tails, and you know he he's honestly still pretty new to the game, so. I think his 2023 is going to be it's going to be really really successful. Doubling down on Hamilton. No one's saying Brody yet. Uh, I've got I've got it, high hopes. It for could Brody. be. I think I think Brody gets a lot of a lot of publicity because he's he's done so well and he's so young. But I him versus Hamilton is just not even a conversation for me quite yet. And I've known Brody like I, he plays in my armories. Like he's a very good player, but he's got to show us a lot more to be in that conversation. And I 2023 he'd have to win multiple pro tours i think all right dave if there's a, a player that's threatening <laughs> to be uh at the end of 2023 to be in the conversation who do you think that could be um christian hawk 
I think the guy's got an incredible background in, in card games. He's way better than me in Magic, that's for sure. And he's shown that he's transferred, like he, when he puts in the time in Flesh and Blood, like he went 12-0 in his nationals in Swiss. Uh, he's got a PT top eight, I think, in, in the second PT. Yeah. And he's got like a lot of big finishes. The guy, the guy just knows how to win. And he's obviously really, really good. How much he cares about Flesh and Blood is going to be another question. You know, it's the same question I you know, comes with, with Matt Rogers and Tarek and people who have, you know, busy lives and things like that. Uh, yeah, I like this conversation. I, I think it's it's been a short period of time and it's easy to get lost in the fact that the game's still young and one finish sways everything so far one way or another. Um, I kind of wish that, you know, that LSS, like I said, had a player of the year award that they gave, you know, I don't know, some sort of special go foiled or something and <clears throat> like a plaque that says, you know, 2022, you were the best player of the year. Now let's start over for 2023. I think those narratives are always fun. And if you just like, you can, I know like other card games have like put points to winning a calling or finishing high in a calling or PT. And you can actually, you know, have a real race with points based on how, you know, how many wins you got at PT and things like that. So yeah, hopefully they, they start doing that eventually. So we can move to a conversation from like, who's the best player in history of the game to like, just who's the best player this year. Yeah, and I appreciate you guys having this conversation again. There's no right or wrong answers. There's obviously... Who do you got, Blake? Who do I have? Uh, yeah. Oh, you guys. Uh, as the best in the world, I am uh, currently on the Michael Hamilton train. And I put a lot of that in the fact that um, deck design, innovation, reading reading the tournament meta beforehand and exploiting certain things, I feel like that's a skill in itself. Preparation, um, you know, everything that leads up to round one, day one, round one, is a major factor. And I'm not saying that there's a lot of players out there who do not put in the, the work, but I just feel like Michael Hamilton is always the best prepared um, and the most innovative and the, the, mo the, the best player or the, the player who's always most ready to adapt and turn things upside down um you know like playing wounded bull in icelander obviously that's so weird it's much like promise of plenty in the briar list and things like that i think that these are elements that need to factor in but there are there's a plethora of players that i would consider it's like that whole thing like oh my top five is like 17 people you know like that's kind of that that whole trope where um players like uh, like Tarek patel um Isaac Crute, Matt Folks, these are players I've played against, uh, talk with regularly, and just their understanding of the game is on another level. But also, you know, I'm I'm not a competitive player. I'm blown away when I play against someone like Brian Basoko, and he just decimates me because he's just an exquisite card player. Like when I play against U10, and then you just dummy me, and I'm like, okay, like these are just players that are great. Uh, that that, but are they the best in the world? That conversation is so unique and yes, subjective I am the best in the world by the way <laughs> okay just, there's a reason why i stay in the booth i have to give other people a chance that's so. a good yes it's 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 actually just a testament to how great i am as a person and how awesome i am that i allow other people to get second place as often as they do oh that is a uh, i'm can i i'm gonna steal that for my tinder profile sure. <laughs> <laughs> sure i'd swipe right on that uh <laughs> friends i i do sincerely appreciate you the conversation if you out there listening to this have uh, your own opinion please drop it in the comments and uh tell us how right or wrong we are or um you know perhaps give give brendan some bee beekeeping advice because he has been clearly it was a wasp it was a wasp, it was a wasp. get it right <laughs> they're way they're way cooler <laughs> one makes him sound way tougher and that's what he's making sure happy. he's like i want to sound tougher here all right Dude, honestly one hurts a lot more than the other what sure. are they like those african murder hornets or whatever we'll just call yeah. them those and yeah. it yeah, yeah. just <laughs> that's what it was all right friends uh we'll start with you dave dave where can people get your most delicious musings because you have been on a rampage lately and it has been quite fun to watch uh yeah you can find me at droot ht i'm always open to you know good conversation i love the game and yeah sometimes it gets a little heated but as long as you're not being disrespectful i'm always i'm always open to engage with you and and have honest conversations perfect and uh, brendan you're going to be on the casting squad for worlds i'm super excited about this you and i have casted uh, together before and i actually <laughs> saved something for this particular moment i don't know if you recall this 
Oh, I recall that. I already knew it was going to be. Yeah. You should bring that to Ohio. It's, uh, what, like two weeks or something? This has been in my wallet since Ohio. I am not getting rid of this because this means a lot to me. It was the first time that we had a we had a wonderful moment. That wasn't in the bathroom, but that's a whole other conversation. But, uh, yeah, where Ohio can we? Is, Ohio <laughs> is for lovers, right? Is that, the, is that what it's called? What a terrible tagline for a really... <laughs> mid city uh, mid mid state it's a but. song <laughs> yeah hopefully people get that one but go ahead uh for uh, you brendan where can we get you yeah you can find me on twitter at brendan apg um i co-host a podcast called arsenal pass it is a podcast and a youtube channel so check us out maybe focus on the competitive side of the game i'm also going to be starting up a um a petition to bring storm Shriders back into blitz you know, information will go out on my twitter and you can sign up and you know we can try to make blitz great again but Anyway, yeah. <laughs> I love it. The best line that I had. So I, I tweeted out today. I said, I love seeing people who have never touched Wizard uh, and have never played uh, Storm Striders complain about it in a format that they never liked, anyways. And the response I got was from Yanji Lee saying, Wizard is the new grass. <laughs> Yeah. Nobody, nobody's <laughs> touched it. I was like, yeah. okay. That's amazing. It is good. It is good. How about you, Tannen? Uh, you can find me on Twitter under the Tannen Grace, just so you don't get, you know, maybe mixed up with the other Tannen Graces stuff in there. And then you'll see a decent bit or hear a decent bit more from me upcoming in Worlds with two of these clowns as well. And then D-Rude competing, also a clown. But um, you'll also find more of possibly all of us. You know, we're working on some of that again. And, uh, you know, we have the official announcement and the roster's coming out soon of the Goliath Gauntlet that should be coming to YouTube very soon. And uh, hopefully you get to watch and enjoy all of that. It's going to be a Not good me. one. No invite for me. Uh, as I said, uh, we're, we're, we're in the works with something with you. You're, you're on a list. <laughs> yeah. so we'll see. You're yeah, on we, a list of some kind. Yeah, we need someone to supply uh, supply some uh, some of those uh, wonderful, what are they called, proxy packs. That Those are going to be the yeah. prize packs. Super, super yeah. valuable stuff. Friends, thank you so much for listening to the Instant Speed Podcast. This has been episode 52. Thanks to our sponsors, kfabecards.com and BCW Supplies. And to all our patrons, uh, if you're a patron of the show, you get a cool card back now on Talishar. Let's go show that uh, show that bad boy off, friends. You're not losing if you're learning. Keep playing the game. We'll catch you next time on ISP. Bye. Well, I was.